feel? The headphones feel nice. I like that they're squishy on my ears. What about the squishiness do you like? It's kind of like a loaf of bread at the grocery store, like a fresh loaf of bread. Not the kind you make at home with the hard, crusty top, but the soft, cheap, like Wonder Bread. And if you squish it, it feels good in your hands. So you have a loaf on each ear. Yeah, that's how I would describe it. I guess that means my head is the sandwich meat between the two loaves your, of... Your brain is the, the roast beef. Yeah, or egg salad, any kind of sandwich. What's the smartest meat? Smartest, smartest meat? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if we're going to... Like if I was, oh, if I was okay. comparing my brain, I guess my brain, Kristen's brain meat. But do you, can Hopefully you buy that? You can't buy that. Yeah, the Sobeys up the road. No, I guess not. I just would you never compare that. my own brain to an egg salad sandwich. Yeah, I guess maybe prime rib. Prime rib. Can you buy prime rib like as a meat? To I'm going to say yes, just just to wrap up this metaphor. We, it's not the meat. With the olives in it. Have you ever seen that? You know, when you're no. kids and you go to a, a church tea and, and the old ladies make the sandwiches and there's the weird ham and there's little bits of things. I don't think that was olives. It. I don't know. I never actually ate it. You you made us buy that time the gray tube of meat. Yeah, it was uh, white pudding. It's gray. Should be called gray too. Well, meat. It, it's it was not pudding. It was Lunenberg sausage. Yeah, it's not good. Yes, you liked it. I didn't really like it, but you kept I going know on how good excited. it was. And well, sometimes you do that with. You with... ate like two feet of it. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I can eat a lot of sausage. I know that. Yeah. Okay. I think this. I think the sandwich talk is run its course it's recording too in case you didn't know okay well we should really move on (laughs) (laughs) so here we are yeah we made it to podcast land what kind of podcast do you like to listen to you're you got into podcasts before i did what was kind of your intro i think like a lot of people my first podcast was serial um yeah that true crime podcast kind of kicked off um the podcast revolution of sorts not it was, there was lots of podcasts happening at the time but i think that just caught a lot of people's attention yeah and, i agree that was a great podcast very entertaining well researched it was intriguing captivating yeah. and then from then i i just started researching things i was into with music writing uh, i found different interviews like by, by searching up someone I was interested in I'd found interviews with certain people and then I'm like oh that that guy's pretty cool and started listening to like Mark Mayer and mm-hmm. his WTF Joe Rogan has well an interview with everyone in the world so at some point you'll find something you're interested in there and there's yeah, lots of great ones out there are you drawn to podcasts that are about music and writing and some of the creative avenues that you yourself endeavor? Oh, I find I listen to podcasts now more than I listen to music. 
and I listen to a lot of podcasts about music. Mm-hmm. So I feel like my, even though I am a musician and I create music, uh, I feel like I listen to more podcasts about people talking about music than actual music itself now. More musicians or the industry aspect? It's usually musicians just yeah. laying, laying it down, interviewing other musicians, seeing what their, their journey has been so far. Right. Well, you've been a musician since you were a teenager, I, I suppose, is when you, would you say? I started playing guitar when I was 12 or 13, the the specified age for every boy to get a guitar and yes. start playing. Every young rock star. And I got an acoustic guitar from my aunt that was sitting in her basement for a long time, and the tuning pegs like I, I actually tuned the guitar they uh they were so old when i tried to tune it they just crumpled in my fingers <laughs> and so i had to have a pair of vice grips attached to the headstock and i every time i had a tune i would take the vice grips off clamp it on string number one wow tune that go to the rest but I, yeah i started playing when i was 12 or 13 however old you are in grade six sounds about right First show I played was when I was in grade eight or nine. So I was, I guess I had I'd gone through puberty. I was uh, kind of a, a lanky kid with a squeaky voice. And <laughs> we got on stage, stood there like statues, played uh, Rockin' in a Free World by Neil Young. Mm, as and, you would. And a song that we wrote ourselves. So... I was in grade eight or nine, and our our band, we all collaborated together to create a song, and it went over really well. And from from that moment on, just even though we stood there like statues, it was this adrenaline rush that was nothing I ever felt up until that point in time. And it was something that I wanted to, to keep feeling and wanted to improve to get better so I could get up on stage and continue to do that and and obviously not embarrass myself because <laughs> there were a few bands that very first show that definitely embarrassed themselves. And, yeah, everybody's uh, probably a bit statuesque when they first find themselves I on think, stage. I think statuesque means like voluptuous. Well, that too. <laughs> <laughs> I had a pretty good bum in grade like eight. Like a statue. Statuesque. It's a good word either way. Yeah, I think it's a way you would describe like... Uh, you've never well, yeah. you've never described me in that way. I think you will now. Well, I think I have to now. <laughs> <laughs> after after that statuesque show, mm. we uh, I started playing like teen dances and eventually worked up to playing gigs at the local legendary bar in my hometown called The Hoff. And I was 16 when I started playing there. We had to have a chaperone, who was usually my father, mm-hmm. and we had to sign papers that stated we would just only go directly from the green room to the stage. We weren't allowed to mingle with, with alcoholics, uh, which which broke my heart. I just wanted to... <laughs> so you talked to no one. <clears throat> well, basically. Mm. But so I was still in school, in high school, when, when we were doing this, and we'd put up posters around the school to try to get our teachers out. And some of them did come, and it was it was pretty interesting to see them in a completely different atmosphere, just having fun with their friends and 
Was the feeling you had from your first show the same as your career progressed? Or did that feeling change with the progression of your music? I think there's always just an excitement about playing because it's it's now something I, I love to do that I, I I thrive off, I guess. And there's just an adrenaline rush when you're doing anything in front of a group of people, I think. Not, nothing will ever compare to the first time and, and not necessarily saying that was better. It was just mm-hmm. because there were so many unexpected things and things I didn't know would happen or how I would feel or right. like you're thinking about how you're going to stand and how you're going to, are you going to look into the audience? Or are you going to just look straight down when I, I chose the latter? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and there's just a lot of things to you on your very first time you have to navigate sure. that, that don't come up later on, but the, the feeling of entertaining people and being the focal point of that, I think has always been there and it's just something, something I look forward to every time I play. Did you know from a young age or even later in your teen years when you were playing at places like the Hoff, that this would be the the life that you would pursue? I didn't know if it was going to be my career because I don't think anyone at that age really knows completely. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was a pretty good student and I played a lot of sports and in a, in a small town when you, when you do well in school, you're just automatically encouraged to go to university. That's, you go to your guidance counselor and your options are university or... Or bust. Or, or nothing. Even even then, getting a trade was was just not what a lot of people did. And mm-hmm. most people got trades and I, I know are, are doing amazing. But I think it was just... I, I knew I loved to play music and... And I, you, you went to university though. I did, yeah. yeah. I went. I did two years of human kinetics, mm-hmm. which is studying how the body moves and why. I guess mm, you really focused on getting the, oh, yourself knew, limber. <laughs> I, I knew all the bones, the the muscles. I could name every muscle in the human body at one point, and how it was connected to a to a tendon or a ligament. That's useful. Yeah, yeah. And did you? play music throughout that schooling and which with the same band or what did that look like at that time well yeah well in university i guess like like anyone who's 18 and leaves home for the first time they're you're exposed to a a lot of new things and just people who are very like-minded who came into my life and there was a couple guys in my residence who were who were musicians and they could sing and harmonize together. And I thought that was amazing because everything in my life and in terms of music is just self-taught and I have to hear something or see something someone else does and like, Oh, that's cool. I wonder how they did that. And these two guys were, were just amazing together. And that really inspired me to, to work harder at my playing and, I didn't sing at all at this time, but I wanted to just be a, a better musician in general. And 
between the summers off university, that's when I would go back home and I'd play summer with with my band. That would be my my summer job, just playing gigs, you know. And this is the same band that you would have played with in high school in Inverness. Uh, a variation of okay. it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, after my second year university, like I I was doing great in university and. I had a lot of friends. I had my place ready. Me and five of my best friends were going to live together. Uh, I had the damage deposit paid for <laughs> and everything. but uh, That ha- you would never get back. That's probably true. <laughs> um, so that summer, we I left university and we just played shows every weekend. We were playing two or three shows and we were making decent money we were going to the beach all day we were just writing songs every minute every day and we were just so damn happy it was <laughs> it was uh it was just unlike anything we experienced before and people were all our other friends were jealous of us that we could just just live our life that way for even a short period of time and it all came to a head at the end of the summer we we had a show in port hood and it's uh an adult dance what we call a, a pig and whistle and it's pretty usually a, a, quite a few people at them there's like 1500 people or something and, mm-hmm. and we played this show and we're by this point i i wasn't statuesque on stage i was <laughs> uh, i was moving around pretty good and, we we were known as having a, a lot of energy. You and, knew all, how all the bones connected at this point. So. I knew exactly how to move because yes. of my two years studying human. Could you ca- do the worm? <laughs> While I was playing? Uh, <laughs> or otherwise. Not, Either are impressive. Uh, the answer is no to both. Okay. When we played this show in Port Hood and we, we expended every bit of energy we had for three hours. And we got off stage at two in the morning and. Like the best show we ever played, and we we actually had a dressing room. Like uh, it was in the arena, so we had a, a hockey <laughs> dressing room. It smells like hockey gear and cigarettes and piss. You know, you know how they are. Yeah, like musicians. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. And so we were back there after the gig, and we started to hear a, a low rumbling in the distance, and it got louder and louder. And we realized it was a chant for our band's name and the. The whole arena was shaking, and in my memory, anyway. And we, we, we thought we had expended every bit of energy in our bodies, and we, in that instance, became like superhumans. We got back up on stage for the encore, and we played, however long we did, I don't know, another half hour or something, and the crowd was just going crazy. And we left there that night, and we decided that we were dropping out of school and going to try to pursue it, try to see if we could extend that summer eternally. That was So that, that was, was the, the turning point, would you say? That was a, a real turning point in your life or career? Definitely. That that whole summer mm-hmm. would be just, just seeing what playing, doing something you love, like whether it's music or right. Whatever it is you you love to do, that was what we all loved to do, and we were able to make a living while well, we were living with our parents. I guess at the time, <laughs> but we were we were making enough money to do whatever we wanted. You know, for, you were happy. Yeah, we were 
completely happy. And I was, I was on the Dean's list at St. of X and I said, fuck it. And, mm-hmm. uh, left, uh, Andrew, Andrew McLeod, my, my good friend, he was a singer in the band. He was going into his second year university. All his siblings are professors. His dad's one of the most renowned authors in the country and world. And he said, fuck it. Uh, you were in it together then. Yeah. No, yeah. it was, it was the, I never, I don't think I've really felt anything else in my life before or after that where there's such a sense of unity and and teamwork together right until your marriage of course oh yeah yeah well that's (laughs) that's another level you know in the good way i understand uh, (laughs) it was yeah it was just uh and we believed just wholeheartedly in everything we were doing and we we weren't afraid of anything just because we believed in what we were doing so much and as you get a little older, that starts to fade, I guess. But that that feeling was just something that if you could bottle that and sell it, mm-hmm. you'd be just a, a billionaire in seconds. I'd say even having experienced that even once, even for a moment, is not something that every person experiences in their lifetime. I, I doubt many do, really, with that much conviction. Yeah, I, especially just being a group of people right. experiencing it together. And I I used to always make, because I, cause I played a lot of sports growing up, and we always made analogies to sports and how how music related to, to, to different aspects of, of playing sports. And there's kind of... When you play or when you're in a game, like an important game or something, and it's comes down to the wire and someone scores an overtime goal or buzzer beater, a, a buzzer beater, you know, like there's just this elation that happens mm-hmm. like in the whether you're playing, you're a fan. It's just something that rushes through your, your body, your, your field and your entire being. And I think that same thing exists Sometimes when you're on stage or when you're in the midst of, I guess, believing in something that wholeheartedly. So I have for a long time imagined what it must feel like to be in your shoes as the lead singer of a rock band. Uh, Being at a a loud concert with people cheering your name and singing your lyrics. I, I can appreciate what you're describing that feeling would be like. Uh, I'm kind of jealous of how freeing that must be. Is it is it liberating to be on stage? Uh, are you afraid? Like, what's the... Because it's very convincing that you're just there in complete confidence as a performer. Is Is that the case? Well, at this point in my life and career, it is, it's my job. Right. So... It doesn't mean it's not awesome when you play a good show and people are singing and singing along and just into what you've created. But I I think there's a bit of innocence attached to it initially where you aren't expecting any of that and might feel a little bit more extreme in the way you process it yourself and the way you feel it. 
but it's still amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyone, anytime someone's singing along with something you wrote, that means the world. And if you're playing to 15 people or 1500, like if they are into what you're doing, it feels the same. Right. Most people, I imagine, know you as Mike Ryan, the lead singer of the duo, The Town Heroes. So you and your bandmate, Bruce Gillis, have been playing together as a duo with some uh, musicians joining you at times throughout that career. You've been at that for over a decade. At, At what point did you go from playing guitar in a small town of Cape Breton to being the lead singer that that you had not done in the past yeah. of a well-known rock band in Halifax. Well, the band I was playing in called Billy's Flick, who we all quit school and we were thought we were going to be bigger than bigger than uh bigger than Bono? Bigger than Bono. That's a bumper sticker, is it not? Or uh probably bigger than you too, I don't know. Yeah. Uh we that band eventually broke up and I, I, when that band was breaking up, I was going through a shoulder injury. And since I knew so much about bones and muscles, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was pretty, pretty bad actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, it was a repetitive strain injury. It was basically, I played guitar so long and so much that I, messed up the whole left side of my body mm-hmm. and when when that band broke up i've be, be, before every show for a while before we broke up it was uh i didn't know if i'd be able to get through it kind of thing like i'd take like way more advil than you were supposed to I'd take like six six advil um just hope it wow. would loosen up like yeah it was just my hand was like a claw and like Back then, like I was way better as a guitar player when I was 21 than I am now because my hand still hasn't fully recovered. But it's, uh, yeah, it was it was an injury that once the band broke up, I knew I had to figure out. So that took about three or four years, basically. Wow. So it was just. Uh, and was that like in rehab? Those three years you were spent uh, rehabilitating. Just, yeah, figuring out mm-hmm. what I had to do because I still don't even know exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it's a repetitive strain injury that affected basically my neck down to my fingers. But no one, I saw so many specialists, so many different people who, every every new person I saw, I thought, oh, this is going to be my savior kind of thing. Yeah. And eventually they, they would just pass me on to the next person. They kind of... No one seemed to really take interest. I was just so excited to find someone who would be keen to. Yeah. The Classic uh, medical world experience. Exactly. And I eventually just, I I tried different things. I swam every day at the YMCA for like a year straight mm-hmm. until my, I had one pair of shorts and they were, they were blue and they turned white and my hair. <laughs> I think like, those were the shorts you wore on our first date, <laughs> by the possibly. way. Possibly. Yeah. Um, my hair, oh, so gross, like touching my hair was like running your nails over a chalkboard. <laughs> but, um, 
that uh, that I don't know didn't really help too much. But I just had to figure out what I had to do. I I had didn't sleep on my left side for like years. I couldn't lift things with that arm. It was just a a process to figure out how I could get back to playing guitar. And in that period, I uh, I started playing piano because I needed to create. I needed to have some way to express express what was inside of me. And once I started playing piano, I figured I might as well start to sing too. So I would just sit at the piano doing scales with my right hand and uh, and singing along. So that's that's basically how I learned to sing was because I fucked my shoulder so bad I couldn't play <laughs> guitar. So I would just do for like eight hours a day and like I had a job where it was just all a domain classification really weird job that was Mm -hmm. um categorizing porn and and things like that but anyway I could just sit at a computer and do scales for eight hours a day um and pretty soon uh I could sing just because I (laughs) I did it like eight to ten hours a day for a year for a year or so and like oh i think i can sing now um and i was the whole time just figuring out how the hell can i get my arm to work and i i got this guitar i I need to find the lightest guitar in the world Mm -hmm. and i found well this one we're looking at right here uh yamaha rgx a2 it's kind of this weird uh i don't know what it's made out of graphite or something it's like four pounds so it's Probably half the weight or less than half the weight of a regular guitar. Okay. And I knew if I was able to put the weight on my right shoulder off the guitar than my left, then I could, excuse me, I could uh, not injure or not continue to hurt the area of my shoulder that hurt. I could. Uh, not aggravate. Yeah, I could not aggravate the, the injured area. And... So I got this strap, and I think I'm the only person in the world who uses it. And I use it to this day, but it goes over both shoulders and right. distributes the weight to my right side. Where did you get that? I just researched online. I tried out some different ones before. One was like a a jet pack. Like it was like putting a <laughs> backpack on, and it was really weird. That one didn't work. Made by NASA. Um, it, uh, it's made by Daddario, I believe, Planet Waves. But uh, the one I got, I put it on and it just felt like, oh my God, this this feels amazing. And my hand, it kind of turned into like a claw. <laughs> it was it was kind of stuck in this position. Yeah. So I, I learned to play guitar in another tuning that kind of my hand naturally went into that position. Yeah. So, so with the light guitar, the weird strap, and the alternate tuning that kind of went along with my natural shape of my lobster claw, I was able to start playing again. In addition to just just hours and hours of figuring out how to rehab it. Today's episode is sponsored by Baked by Butcher. Based in Waterville, Nova Scotia, Emma Butcher puts her heart and soul into her delicious creations. Quality custom cakes and pastries for any memorable milestone or absolutely no occasion at all. We have ordered a number of edible creations from Emma, including one for a recent wedding anniversary shoot that we smashed open and stuffed each other's faces with. Her designs are whimsical and the cake is the best you've ever had. 
You can follow Baked by Butcher on Instagram and Facebook and place a custom order for your special celebration. I think this is a truly amazing story. I, I have to say, I <laughs> I know this of you and I, we've talked about this, I guess, more so when we first met 10 years ago or whatever it was. But so I, I'm familiar that this is something that you went through, but it's such a genuine making something out of nothing. I mean, you you took this great hardship and what I imagine was just a heartbreaking experience. You went from knowing that this was what you wanted to pursue to being in chronic pain. And instead of letting that defeat you, you turned it into this beautiful skill that I would say has really become more of your identity and talent than just being the guitar player in a band. Yeah, I don't even think I'm a very good guitar player anymore, actually. <laughs> I know I know what uh, I can play to my strengths and that, but I just lost the ability to do a lot of the things I used to be able to do. Yeah. But, but that doesn't really, I don't even like, I used to play like fast solos and stuff, but I don't even really like that anymore so it doesn't matter yeah. i'd rather just stick to playing playing a song like the at the end of the day the the key is is it a good song and i i want to play songs that people can relate to and not everyone can relate to a solo wanking out with a wah mm-hmm. pedal and effects on it but sounds cool though <laughs> it does but uh, yeah i th- i think i'm I, I wanted to be, I just wanted to keep creating and that allowed me to be able to do that. And, and now I can, now I can sing. Was it more about your personality and that you had tenacity and determination or was it more from a place of knowing that you had to continue creating? Like how much was that driven by just that burning thing inside of you? I just knew I I couldn't stop because I felt I felt like I had to do it. I I don't even really know why, but I I just knew it was something I couldn't give up on. It uh, felt like it was necessary. Like at that point in my life, just after I quit school, I just I put everything into music, and mm-hmm. I couldn't just give up on it and. I, before I hurt my arm, I used to just some days just sit in my room and play guitar for eight eight hours or whatever, just not writing, not doing anything, not even thinking, just just playing and yeah, and I guess just letting the creativity come out of me and and once I couldn't do that, I just felt like both okay, I need an outlet for what it is I can't do anymore and I guess I'm stubborn as hell like (laughs) my dad's the same way uh we'll just push on through anything no matter what kind of thing and for better or for worse like I came across so many times in my life things where I probably should have quit and I know 99% of the population would have and maybe maybe I should have too but uh I didn't and even after I learned to sing, um, I was singing, <laughs> the exact same thing happened. I was singing so much and just 
doing the 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 singing for eight hours a day now and uh all of a sudden i just i lost my voice and i couldn't sing for a year so (laughs) that was in during the recording of our first album we had all the instruments done and then all of a sudden i'm like "I, i just can't sing i i couldn't hit notes like uh I had a lot of acid reflux while I was singing and it basically burned my vocal cords and that took about another year to recover from. So it was pretty much a five year process just, uh, and then I learned to play the trumpet. uh, No, (laughs) I I guess I just, uh, during that period was trying to just write songs. Do you think that all artists or all people who are, creative in that type of way. Let me rephrase that. Do you think that all artists have that drive in common or that need to express themselves? Is that is that the common thread? I can only speak for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think no matter what I'd be doing in life, I'd have that stubbornness attached to it where I would just put my head down and keep going just because that's that's in my genes um is there something you think that creative people do have in common of of course there there has to be uh uh there's a desire there to to capture something you feel but again I can't really speak for other people because I don't know what's going on in their heads and I, yeah. I know what people say but I don't know what actually drives them in in the same way. I guess I'm thinking about you often hear everybody's creative and I believe in our own ways that is true. Uh, we've talked about this before that I think creativity can be found in everything from forming policy in a boardroom to organizing your sock drawer. I mean, it just, creativity is very broad in its expression. But we also belong to a community of of artists in a more literal sense, I suppose. I'm a painter, you're a singer-songwriter, we both enjoy writing. A lot of our friends are creatives in some way. Do you see... I guess, a, a commonality amongst that culture, or these people, or I guess, as, as you've said, it's hard to speak on others' behalf, but um, how would you describe that for yourself? Like, what is it that makes you an artist? What is it that you feel um, that makes that your identity? Well, speaking of creativity, I think everyone does have some sense of creativity in them. Like you can, you can be a very creative carpenter or creative teacher or creative, creative artist in any sense of the the word, but you can also do any of those jobs and not be creative. You could be a incredibly technically proficient musician who can play the piano beautifully, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're creative. Mm-hmm. Like you could have been taught since you were three years old how to play or you have your muscle memory to, to hit all these these chords and patterns. And there's, there's in music, I think the, 
the big thing for me that comes down to it is is feel and mm-hmm. you can again have a phd in, in music but that doesn't under that doesn't mean you can sit down with people and just jam with them because feel is just something about capturing the energy of what's in the room and the essence of the song and be able to put your input into that and I don't know if you can really teach that. Yeah. I agree. There is some t- uh, sense of intuition that I see in you, uh, especially being an artist that is self-taught. I-, I think you have no choice but for it to be based on feel and instinct. That's At the end of the day, that, that's all I have. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh, Obviously, I understand music in a... I, I don't I don't know how to read music or talk to someone about the theory side of things, but I understand it in my own way. Yeah. Where if someone says to sing the sing this harmony uh in a fifth, I don't necessarily know what that means, but uh in my head I'm like, Okay, I remember someone in the past saying a fifth sounds like this, I can do that. So right. <laughs> so I'll do it. But I have I just never put any time into learning those technicalities so i just have it in my own head and there's there's lots of musicians like that and lots of great musicians who can can read and and write music and i think it just comes down to the the passion you have for it the the time you're willing to put in the drive you have your ability to to suffer (laughs) i think uh you're you're going to at some point in time, and if you're willing to to persevere through those hard times, that's a necessity. And if you're not, you'll you're gonna be working nine to five. <laughs> <laughs> and through all of that, what would you say now, after all of those years and hardships and uncertainties, keeps you inspired and keeps you motivated? I'm always trying to get better at what I do. And again, it's my job now. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to improve, write the best songs I can, become a better singer, be able to connect with people in what I create. And I think just, what was the question again? After all of those years, what keeps you inspired? Yeah. I think I just love music and love creating and I feel I feel like I'm inspired every day like think things that that make me feel any type of emotion I find inspiring like I can watch mm-hmm. for better or for worse yeah I can yeah. watch a movie that's what's what's a movie we watched recently uh that one about the the kid who, the true story, clouds on Disney, the Disney network. Right. You know me in movies. Like the second yeah. they're over, I forget what they're about. But yes, I, I know what you're talking about. But it was, yeah, it was, it was an emotional movie. A kid dying of cancer as a musician. Obviously that's emotional. Yes. But uh, I could watch The Sandlot or something too. A coming of age film. Tremors. Tremors. I, I write all my best songs after <laughs> uh, a Tremors binge. Yeah. But and I'm I'm only referencing movies here, but uh, just uh, doing something with your friends or with you, 
with going out into nature, just the things that make me feel something in either good or bad or the thing is what inspires me to create. Mm-hmm. I've always felt a need to to capture those those feelings and emotions and I don't don't know entirely know why, but uh it's it's just always been it's just always been a part of me, whether I'm writing something in a notebook or trying to capture this feeling through a song or just some form of artistic expression. I, I've just always felt the need to do that, and that's still there. So I guess what inspires me to, to keep going is is that, plus I, I'm trying to make my living off yeah. it. So I'm finishing up my sixth album now as the I have the so my solo album I have one of those and it'll be the the fifth the uh, Town Heroes album and I want that to be better than the last one and I want I want to sell more copies I want to reach more fans I want to go on bigger tours like I want to just be able to make my entire living just just being a musician. Is there a feeling of finality ever in this world, in this job? Are you ever, will you ever feel satisfied or finished? How does, how do you uh, deal with that? Well, I remember hearing an interview with Jack White once and he obviously got to the, the pinnacle of what a, a musician or artist can, can become. And he always felt like he was striving for something more. And he, uh, I think he said he had a piano on stage. And at first he had the piano set up right beside him. And when he, when he had to play it, he could just turn around and play it. And as stages got bigger and more, more fans were coming out, he started putting the piano a little bit further and further away to try to keep himself on his toes, so he had to hmm. to run basically to the piano by the end of it. <laughs> and I guess, I guess you do kind of always look for more. And in his case, if he's still feeling that and had to create these scenarios where he was doing something to keep himself on his toes, just to feel challenged, then then I'm probably gonna experience. I'm probably in the, as a mid-level artist, like I'm still, I'm still fighting to get where he's at or anywhere even close. And I, I don't know if I, if that will ever change no matter where my career goes, because what got me to where I am now is the same feeling. Like I could have been happy after the very first show I played, like, oh, that was a lot of fun. I'm done. Or after the Port Hood the port hood chant uh it could have been well that was amazing i guess i'm done or after any of the thousands of shows i played that were awesome i could have said well that's enough but it just kind of inspired has inspired me to, to keep going and see what else is out there you touched on something important uh the idea of the middle ground artist we often think of Uh, Our idols, our artistic idols as those who have achieved some sense of fame or celebrity or stardom, Uh, you know, the 
the rock star, the yeah. the movie star, whatever it might be. But we forget that all of these people started somewhere, perhaps in a small town just like you. Maybe. But living in the the middle ground, we'll call it, is probably one of the hardest places to be because there's, I don't know, like maybe this expectation that you have this dream beyond where you are, though you may be perfectly content simply being able to make a living at the thing that brings you joy. So how do you deal with, you know, maybe others' expectations or your own expectations in the place that you are in your career? Do you do you hope to go beyond? Is there a, a, a particular show you might play or audience you might have that would feel like you've made it? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. I think that, I think most artists are, are the mid-level artists just trying to, trying to get by and figure out their next moves and, and, um, But I, I think that everyone was there at some point and the general population doesn't really understand that, that, that Jack White was there at some point, that yeah. George Jones was there at some point, you know, like a lot of people just see someone who's made, who, who's already made it and they they see you trying to be that or think you're trying to be that and they don't really understand it because in their eyes that other person is this idol that can never be attained their their career level could never be attained but they don't understand that that person also was in your position at one point looking up yeah and exactly I don't I don't want to let other people's opinions be the thing that that drives me or or forces me one way or another mm-hmm. but it would be nice to be at a level in my career where people just shut the fuck up about uh <laughs> <laughs> But it is impressive that you have managed to not only commit to this lifestyle but like you really have made a a living from this you've you've since s- moved from just creating within the town heroes to solo work to um producing and mastering and more of the studio type of work is is that out of necessity or has that just been a natural progression well i've always been doing studio stuff and i went back to school to take a recording course Mm -hmm. so it's it's been something i wanted to do and it's just as much a part of being a musician in my eyes as just playing on stage. Yeah. And I've been working on my own recordings for years. And once I got to a point where I thought I was good enough, I, I wanted to, to offer that as a service to other people. And I think I have the knowledge and the ability to, to help people who are, in a position where they want to make a a recording and bring their songs to life. And someone who's never been in a studio before needs someone like that. And, and yeah, it's, it is a way to make, to make money. Like it's, it's another part of my 
my job, but it's, it's again, something I love to do and something I'm good at and I invest a lot of time in, so I might as well try to capitalize on it. Yeah. And do you, uh, I, I should probably know this, but do you do that studio work on your own songs for the, the Town Heroes and Michael S. Ryan, or are you hiring other people to do some of that tech work? It depends what it is, like yeah. the project we did together where I did the song and you did the painting for each song. I did, I recorded everything, uh, mixed everything, uh, but got I got someone else to master it. It, it depends what the, the project is. I'm, I'm mixing the new Town Heroes record right now. Uh, it's a project-by-project project basis, okay. and I guess not everyone understands those, what I'm talking about, so maybe. Yeah, uh, we, that's not a great question, I guess, maybe, for me to have asked, but, um, yeah. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. How has, how has modern technology changed the industry? Oh, man, the music industry, probably more than any other industry, has changed drastically in the last 15 20 years mm-hmm. what was the stat we heard on cbc radio about the cost of was it a record or like a vinyl uh, versus I think just i think they said if a cd followed the normal rate of inflation that everything else on earth follows it should be like i don't know 50 or 60 bucks to buy an album right but instead, the price has gone down. Instead, people expect music for free. Yeah, the music industry right now is kind of like the Wild West. Like, There's no proven template for how to how to make it or how to how to push through. Like no one really knows. Like this, okay, this is the the exact process, the exact steps that need to be taken. To get from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Because uh, for a while, there was a, a template to follow. And now it's just figuring out social media, figuring out the streaming platforms. Yeah, because it seems now that everyone, at the very least, has access to the same tools to pr- promote music or... Well, there's more, and I don't know any of the stats in this, but... I imagine the amount of artists and bands out here now is just exponentially higher than, say, the 70s or 80s. If you were a professional musician back then, to make an album, you had to go into a high-end studio that cost thousands upon thousands of dollars to record an album. Yeah. And it probably probably wasn't just for someone who wasn't... (laughs) driven and talented wasn't probably the best career path because you're gonna you're gonna sink to the bottom pretty quick Mm -hmm. but now you can you can record a demo at your house for free with the software you downloaded illegally and (laughs) you can put that on a blog or something and good things could happen and there's it's amazing in a lot of ways the opportunities that are out there for artists yeah, it sounds sort of bittersweet. There's there's new platforms and potential for exposure or making those 
right connections, but you're also now in competition with the entire world at the click of a button. Yeah, and that's just the way it is, I guess. I don't look at it as good or bad. Like, it's uh, the internet has helped me in lots of ways. So I have access to thousands of audience members or I have access to thousands or tens of thousands, millions of people around the world who might not hear my music otherwise. So it's it's something I just, it's just another tool to yeah. to figure out how to use in my best interest. Also, I think we, uh, let's get out of the industry talk here. Okay. I think just. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, looking back on your career, what would be some highlights that stand out to you? Oh, there's been so many awesome ones. Uh, playing this show on February 16th, 2011. That's uh, very specific. Very specific because I met you there. Yeah, and we uh, did. That was uh, 10 years ago yesterday. That was a special day then. Yeah, so I met, met my wife through music. <laughs> I played... Played some incredible shows. Played in uh, Boston at the tree lighting ceremony in uh, Boston Common. There was 30,000 people there. That was the biggest crowd I ever played to. And we uh, opened for Belle Biv DeVoe. Wow, (laughs) that's a resume builder. uh, Yeah, that I should have just stopped there. Like It's not going to get any better. (laughs) Uh, We played a show in Germany at the Reeperbahn Festival on a little boat that sailed around the harbor and that was one of the most amazing shows ever played there was it was this tiny boat could fit probably maybe 50 people but there was mm-hmm. probably 80 on it mm-hmm. uh, obviously pre-covid um people just shoulder to shoulder like the there's no stage we we're just on level with everyone else and if i wanted to i could just lean forward and kiss everyone who was right in front of me. Uh, they were that close. <laughs> Which you may or may not have done. Might have slipped a few out there. <laughs> but, uh, we, yeah, we just sailed around the Hamburg Harbor, played for 45 minutes, and people just sang along with uh, all their songs. They didn't even know who we were, but they're such good music fans that they catch on to things fast. And Oh, it's so fun. Just an energy that's in the the room or on the boat uh that sometimes you can't really quantify it in any other way than saying that 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 it was there yeah you've been to a lot of countries on tour yeah we we managed to get around a little did a two-week tour of finland which was which was pretty awesome we did it we trained around the whole country we 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 trained uh, and then we, we'd get to where we were going and we were too cheap or didn't have enough money to get a cab. So we'd get out <laughs> of the train station and walk with all our gear to our hotel, which <laughs> which sometimes wasn't wasn't around the corner. But that was that was pretty amazing. In Germany, three or four times, mm-hmm. Austria, um, the UK into the states a couple times and across Canada a bunch. Yeah. I play I funny thing I've played across Canada out west a lot but I never 
been to the prairies. We always flew over. <laughs> so I've never seen uh, Saskatchewan. Well, you should put that on your bucket list. No, I want to. Places to well, visit. We're going to do, we're going to train across. That's right. Do you miss touring now? I mean, we're we're talking now during COVID times. And of course, uh, the entertainment industry has been hit probably the hardest or yeah. one of the hardest. Is that something that you are grieving? Yeah, definitely. Like, well, playing music, like as this whole conversation started, like it, it's all come from playing shows in front of people. Like mm-hmm. everything I do in the studio online is all because of that first show played back in the Inverness Academy in 1998 mm-hmm. or whatever year it was. But the, yeah, the live show is has always been the big thing and not having it is, it feels like a party was missing. I bet. But at, at the same time, like I'm, I'm not 20 anymore and I, I don't necessarily want to tour like I used to. Like we used to just go to a place, play a show till whatever, two in the morning. And then at that moment, try to figure out where are we going to sleep? Like, are we sleeping in, <laughs> are we sleeping in our car? Are we going to get a hotel? Do we have enough money to get a hotel? Is someone going to offer us a floor to sleep on? Like. It it's not really. It's the less glamorous side. It yeah, sounds like like. But maybe I, at twenty, that's okay. Like I love I love touring, and but I don't I don't want to tour like that and just yeah. You're eating just gas station food and not sleeping, and you're playing Tuesday nights in London, Ontario, to three people, and like I I love touring and and playing, but. In the future, any big trips, like any 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 far traveling or getting out there, is going to have to be for a reason. Like sure, like in the past, we tried to build audience. We tried to create a demand while we were out in the road. Like I'd rather try to create the demand from from here, and then once the demand is there, go to it rather yeah. than go out to create it. What's new and what's next for you? Well, finishing up the new Town Heroes record now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's, I think it's by far our our best. Um, putting I put all the all my brain power possible into writing those songs, and now I'm putting all of that into mixing the songs. I can vouch for <laughs> how amazing the album sounds so far. We haven't determined it yet, but maybe one of the songs is going to be our theme song here. That's right. Maybe people have already heard one. That's right. Maybe not. Uh, Finishing that, um, building up my studio, working on solo projects, uh, just trying to be as busy as possible, just trying to make music, trying to capture, capture what it is I'm feeling, trying to... You know, capture lightning in a bottle just one time. Capture that perfect hit. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not looking for the perfect hit. I'm just looking to create meaningful music that the people who care about uh, will will appreciate. And yeah, yeah. At one point, I I thought like, okay, I gotta 
I got to be the biggest, biggest artist in the world. But I think having a group of people who are passionate fans is, is the main thing. Yes. And however big that group is, like a little bigger would be nice just mm. to, <laughs> just to know, okay, every album you put out, you're going to sell this many kind of thing. Yeah. Um, some of that stability. Yeah. But yeah, having, having a group of people like lifelong fans who are passionate about what you create, they, know the backstories behind your songs behind your behind the guitar you play behind everything you do like they're they're what you want like you don't want to just be a trend that passes passes by in the night like you you have to have those real fans if you want to create any longevity to your career you seem to have a very committed fan base yeah, oh, definitely. They may. I understand you may wish to grow that, but no, that that's the exact fan base we want. But just to grow that a little yeah, bit bigger, yeah. You know, I, I I can't remember exactly what someone said, but having a thousand people like that who are who are dedicated, passionate fans, you can make a pretty good career out of. Mm-hmm. Well, I have to say, it's been a real. Um, learning experience for me when we first met I I mean I always felt I was a creative person as well but I wasn't an artist in the way that I might call myself now I've had the pleasure of your guidance and experience to help me navigate sort of the highs and lows of what it's like to live with the uncertainty of you know, of, of being a creative person. There's, there's lots of times where you might get a, a great email or opportunity and there's lots of periods of lulls and time in between that you question yourself or I do. Um, it's sort of an emotional roller coaster at times. Yeah. I, I think the key is to not, uh, and I, I have done this in the past where you were super excited and obviously I was too, but I was like, yeah, just, just, Calm down a little bit till you get a few more details. Yeah. Just because I think you just can't let the highs be too high because if you're following that, like you said, emotional roller coaster, it's going to be hard. Like, yeah. Just you don't let the highs be too highs and the low be lows be too low and enjoy the things that are good. But when something bad happens, don't let that get you either mm-hmm. because there are a lot of highs and lows in this. And like, are you, and you're still experiencing that, are you like that, the the ebbs and flows, or do you think that's something that's more, as you're, as you're, as you push further and further on, like you're going to try new things and reach out to bigger markets and you're still going to get those rejection emails or letters. Doesn't Stephen King have a whole box of rejection letters? He had letters? a lot, yeah, yeah. He definitely did. Um, yeah. I, I think I think just sticking to it and believing in what you're doing is all that matters at the end of the day because there's a lot of talented people out there and a lot of those talent, talented people have given up and right 
there's a lot of mediocre people who are doing really damn good because they believed in what they what they were after. And if you can do that and keep on going, then you're gonna you're gonna get there eventually. That's great advice. We have the fortune of having some younger musicians in our lives that you've been mentoring and helping in your studio. I see them full of light and passion and think that you have a lot to do with that through your guidance. Is there anything else that you would like to offer to maybe a younger audience or those that are experiencing some of these highs and lows? I think a good thing, uh, I didn't really do it myself, but having a skill set initially where you're, you are able to earn money in another area that's not just your art. Right. Because when you are relying completely on your art initially, it's it's really hard because it becomes your job and you might not be well enough developed to be making a career out of it and you might be starting to, it might start to influence your choices in how you create when it should be more time to just explore your your ideas and whatnot you think having that that financial stability we'll call it helps be more creative i think initially for sure because you're not forced to have to try to create something that to make money i guess um unless like another thing is just being good at surviving off nothing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, I'm an expert at that like i can i can get by with with not too much and uh, i did it for a good period of time that's why your slipper is currently duct taped to your foot <laughs> well i have cheap genetics in in my blood so <laughs> it uh it served me well in lots of ways i think that's great advice I, and you know having the pressure of needing to sell your music to buy groceries would be different than knowing that there's food in the fridge already and there's a bit of creative liberty in space. Yeah, if if you can find something that you you also love, that's something like the last thing you want is a, is a job that makes you completely unhappy. Sure. Um and maybe you and you probably will have to do that for a little while. Like mm-hmm. everyone in the world does that. That's right. Uh, but if you're trying to balance your career and you have the potential to seek out some doing something else you enjoy i would i would definitely recommend that if you're uh if you're not the strokes and your first show mm. isn't uh, at uh, a major uh fashion show yeah so say? that's probably most people those were not their circumstances yeah unless unless you're i don't know Dad's Elon Musk or something like you, you're probably going to need to figure out a, a way to make some extra money. And, and maybe part of that can be different aspects of music or, or whatever your art is, whether it's teaching lessons in that skill or, or, or some, something in line with it. Like that's great. But if you have to be a bartender or, or whatever it may be, that's great as well. As long as it's something you, you enjoy a little bit. Yeah. A little bit, anyway. Yeah. Sometimes the bad jobs inspire you to work hard at your... <laughs> Get me out of here. Career. Yeah, well, 
I've worked shitty jobs in the past where when I was done, all I wanted to do was, was play music because I missed it so much while I was, while I was working the shitty job. Well, and sometimes that contrast can be a good thing for both of the things that you're doing. Yeah. You need a, you need to have a little mud in your shoes, right? I've, I always say that, uh, I've read a biography on Jimi Hendrix and he met this old guitar player and, uh, he, he told him he's got to get some mud in his shoes before he gets anywhere. So a great line. You have a what's the song that that lyric is found in? Uh, Hercules. I was gonna, yeah, Hercules. That's uh, right. I can't even picture. Uh, I'd have to sing the whole song to bring it to mind. <laughs> uh, uh, I think it's in the second verse. Um, I'd probably make more money if I didn't curse and swear. I sing about blue eyes, pretty long blonde hair. Oh, yeah. Use words like baby and lines like I love you too, but that's all for singers with no mud in their shoes. Oh, yeah. It's great Ooh. advice. Yeah. So with all of that in mind, is there such a thing as selling out? Uh. I think back to... The Coldplay example when they were hired. Was it Coldplay? No, no the it was Black uh, Keys. Yeah, I think back to the Black Keys example of when they were hired to do a mayonnaise commercial, I believe it was, and they were called out for s- being sellouts. Well, yeah, no, they, they turned it down they initially. Did. Okay. Didn't I, their mothers go crazy? Yeah, they, one, they turned it down, and then one of their moms said that... Uh, she might have been a teacher. I'm not sure. Whatever her job was, she said, I work. Uh, it takes me a full year of work to earn that What salary. you would make yeah. to, for doing this commercial. Yeah. yeah. So so they were, they got in the mayonnaise commercial. And yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I would never call someone a sellout myself. Like, unless you were obviously very, you were something specific and then you became the opposite of that for monetary reasons, I guess. But there's there's trends that, like, how important is that? So you want for people to buy your music because you want to make a living from the thing that you enjoy doing. But there has to be some element of, well, this is what the public is listening to and this is what's selling. How How much does that factor into what you are making? I don't think that's selling out at all, though. Like I'm saying, like if a I don't know a punk band became a Christian band, or, <laughs> um, <laughs> or maybe the other way around. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, no, I don't know. Maybe. But I, is it selling out to give the the people or the market what they want? I I could never call anyone a sellout if they're doing it to to make a career, make mm-hmm. a living, buy their groceries. Yeah. Um. It's a hard, very, very hard career as a musician, any any of the arts. Um, and I, I'll call people cheesy or horrible or, <laughs> or just uh, not very Other good. Other adjectives apply. But a sellout, I don't know. I would refer to the person who got a job, a nine-to-five job, that mm-hmm. they didn't want to want it to be an artist more of a sellout than anything. 
Yeah, I I would agree. I mean, there's probably jobs that you would prefer to do over others, but if it still allows you to do the thing that you love to do in some way, shape, or form, you you have to pursue those opportunities. They're not a dime a dozen. Yeah, like it's it's uh you have a finite time to to make things come together and again like if if you were if you turned your back on your fans and your your we have a cat going crazy in here <laughs> hey george calm the hell down george has woken up from his nap but if if you have a fan base and they are passionate about something you do and then you change that completely that would be the only time I would call you a sellout. If you change what you are to your, mm-hmm. your, to your hardcore fans, you turn your back on them then for money. I would, I would call that being a sellout, but I don't think there's a lot of people who do that. Yeah. Like, yeah. A lot of people do a lot of things for money, but that's definitely not selling out. That's, that's survival. You're, you got mortgage to pay. You got mm-hmm. daycare. You, <laughs> your life. How can you call someone who's pursuing their dream, which also happens to be their job, how could you call anything they do selling out? Are you living your dream now? I think so, yeah. I, I think this is this is it. I'm making music, recording, writing every day, people getting in touch with me to to work on their projects. This is what I wanted to do. Like at one point, maybe I thought it would be slightly different, but mm-hmm. in reality, this is this is what being a musician is. Do you take those moments to hit pause and reflect on where you came from and where you are? I always think about uh, Kurt Vonnegut. He uh, he wrote in in one of his books where. He said he had an uncle who, anytime something nice happened in their life, he would say, if this isn't nice, I don't know what it is. So you gotta, you gotta step back and smell the roses and take it in and enjoy it and be grateful for it because, I mean, no one knows what tomorrow's gonna bring. Mm-hmm. You gotta, you know... Just, if this isn't nice, what is? That's a great line. That's one that we we say often around here. I change... It's on our vision board. Yeah. Yeah, if, if you're not grateful for, for what you have, then you don't enjoy things. And mm-hmm. It's hard. hard. <laughs> it's yeah. a hard practice, but... That's what it's we, a practice, though. I yeah. think that's the, the key word. We try to recognize the good moments and be mindful in them uh, especially because this life does come with an element of uncertainty yeah, yeah. i think that's i think that is that is the not bulk of it the uh essence yeah yeah i think that's that's essentially the essence of it all mm-hmm. well i'm pretty grateful to ride this roller coaster with you um thank you yeah, it's, for, it's fun isn't it yeah it's 
it's nice that we still can talk about these things, these topics, these concepts and be learning about each other. I I think it helps me in particular uh, apply that to my own art and and self. Um, I think having you there has made me a a better, more grounded, creative person and the way that I think about things and the way that translates into my work um, has certainly been profound and influential. Uh, I know that you've had that impact on lots of others who have heard your music and listened to your lyrics. You've often heard from people that it's touched their lives or got them through a hard time, and I see how important it is to have that feedback from people. Well, one one day at a time, you know, that's all we can do and try to put our best foot forward and as an artist, just hope that the people can relate to what you're doing and that that's all, that's all I'm doing. All you're doing. And so where, tell, where can people find you? Well, on the internet, uh, you can find my band, The Town Heroes, www.thetownheroes.com. That will link you to anything you need to go to. And my solo stuff is under Michael S. Ryan, www.michaelsryan.com. My last name is not Lion, as most people guess. Unfortunately. <laughs> when, I, uh, when I say my name quickly. Oh, that's a cool name. Mm-hmm. Michael Lion. We could change it and be the Lions. Oh, I'm not against that. I'm not opposed. I'm not opposed. I'll see what my parents think. Okay. Uh, yeah, all over the internet. Uh, hopefully, uh, we can connect there and and be best pals for life. Well, that sounds great. You're certainly my best pal. <laughs> uh, thank you for your love and your humor and sharing some of your thoughts with us today. It's been a pleasure as always. Always, yeah. And uh, let's go have a cup of tea now. Okay. Signing out. Signing out.